Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. You know, this has been a great series. Some of the things that, uh, that we've gone through, starting at Easter, looking at the resurrection, asking ourselves, do beliefs really matter? Do what, does what we think and what we believe have an impact on our lives? We've looked at the message that the Bible has for mankind and asked ourselves the question, what's truly true? We've, um, we've looked at the Bible's account of a six-day creation and said, how did it all begin? And we probably challenged some people's worldviews with that message. A few weeks ago, we looked at our own lives and how lots of stuff comes flying at us. And we asked the simple question, is life really as messed up as it sometimes seems? And we talked about things like sin and death. Last week, we kind of tried to put together an answer to some of those things. How can I pull my life back together? And we ultimately landed that we don't pull our lives back together, but Jesus Christ is the one that pulls our lives together, and it's his grace and his love, his mercy and forgiveness that helps us pull our lives back together. Today, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to close out this series and ask ourselves the question, how do my beliefs impact my future? Uh, One second. I just realized I've... uh, I've got something coming up this week, and I've got to get it into my um, my Palm Pilot here before I. Uh, people know I'm kind of forgetful, and uh, you know if I don't plan my future, then um, you know it, it it really ends up being bad. So if I just one quick second here, you know we can uh, have all kinds of tools and things like this, but. Um, I don't know about you, having a Palm Pilot, sometimes it just doesn't quite do it for me. You know, in life, there's kind of two types of game, isn't there? Coaches know this. There's an outer game. You have to teach the outer game. You have to teach your players how to play and give them the skills that they need to play. If it's basketball, for example, they've got to learn, learn how to shoot and rebound and dribble. But coaches also know that there's something called the inner game. And that's what's in here. Do the players have a heart that's filled with passion and drive for the game? Do they have a personal courage in their heart that will allow them to go out on a limb and take risks during a game? Are they players who are filled with honesty and integrity and understand that when they make a mistake, they need to own that mistake on the court? Are they team-oriented, or do they think that it's really all about them? You see, you can teach people how to plan their future with palm pilots and such, but that's all really just the outer game, isn't it? What we're going to be talking about today far more has to do with the inner game. And that is so important. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like my future is running at me like a freight train. I can't believe it, but already 
my last child is headed off to college. And I, uh, I can't decide whether I'm looking forward to that or if I'm getting ready to uh, have the classic case of dad's empty nest syndrome. This week, we were planning the crosswalk budget. I, I don't know how many of you have ever been intimately uh, involved with the planning of a church budget, but I can tell you this. As I think about the future of crosswalk, and I think about all the ideas that the crosswalk people about the things we could do, ideas that I have and staff has, guess what? There's way too much vision at crosswalk for the financial resources that we have to put into our ministry. And as we think about the future, sometimes you go, oh, how in the world are we going to be able to make this happen? Now, I bet that you have personal examples of the very thing that I'm talking about, things where you feel like your future is coming at you like a freight train. Maybe it's something like a big decision in your life. Who am I going to marry? Or do I want to give up this job and head out to another job? It's time for a big change in my life. Maybe it's the empty nest thing that I'm about to experience or a new baby coming into the house. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, how am I going to deal with all of this? Maybe it's a little tragedy. You know, I read this this morning, uh, or actually several mornings ago. This is from uh, Saturday's paper, Friday's paper. Laura's legacy, I don't know if you caught this. Here's a, a story of a family, a nine-year-old that touched many lives. You know why she touched so many lives? Because at nine years old, she had cerebral palsy. And her parents knew that she was not doing well. And at only nine, even though she had touched so many lives, she passed away. Now, how does a family deal and look into the future when a major tragedy like that happens? There are all kinds of things that we have to look at and decide. But here's, here's the message that I want you to walk out of here with this morning. I'm going to put it into one sentence. It's in your crosswalk notes. You can, you can fill it in if you want to. But it's this simple message. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have Jesus Christ as the solid foundation of your life, you have an amazing future to look forward to no matter what's going on in your life. And that is an amazing future that is really built on a single foundation. A single foundation. And that is as long as we are walking with Christ, as long as we are following, with, following Christ, we have someone whose power and wisdom and grace and forgiveness allows us to walk on solid ground no matter what the events of our lives are throwing at us. And that's amazing. Now I want you to look at 1 John 1.3. And I put that in your crosswalk notes. Pull that out and pull a pen out while you're doing that because I want to point out something to you and I'm going to have you circle a word. 1 John 1, 3, it's in your crosswalk notes, says this. By the way, this is just before the text that I'm about to read you from 1 John 2, the text that we're really going to be digging down into this morning. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, the Apostle John writes so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Circle the word fellowship. It's in there twice. And the reason I'm having you circle that word is 
John starts his whole letter by saying, everything that I'm going to say in the remainder of this letter is really based on this, your fellowship with God. Notice how he says it? I write this. I proclaim what I saw and what I heard as an apostle. I walked with Jesus day after day. And, I, and I'm going to tell you these things so that, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. John follows that up with this. And I'm going to skip some verses and head down to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, which are the verses we're specifically studying this morning. This is what he says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. How many of you know what a Pigovian tax is? Anybody here familiar with a Pigovian tax? If maybe you've uh, taken an economics class, you'll know what a Pigovian tax is. It's named after a, a man named Pigou. Pigou decided, and he, was, he, uh, he uh, lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He decided that a great way to get more revenue for the state was to put a tax on things like smoking and drinking and gambling. Do you know what those taxes were called? Sin taxes. Not sin taxes, the grammar point, but sin taxes. And you know what they discovered? Actually, they discovered that people reacted pretty mildly to sin taxing. And, and the thought behind it, sort of what some have surmised the psychology behind it is that people sort of have a little bit of an understanding that when you do certain things, you're going to pay. You know, the Bible tells us that there are sin taxes too, doesn't it? Not financial taxes on things like smoking or drinking or gambling. It tells us that when we sin, we pay a price. When we break God's holy will, even at those times when we think, I'm getting away with this, nobody caught me, nobody saw me, I'm not, I'm, I got away with it, scotch-free. Even at those times when we think that we're not paying a price for sin, guess what? The Bible teaches us every time we break one of God's laws, his holy will, we are paying a tax, a sin tax. It may be a tax, a burden that goes on in our hearts. 
A feeling that even though no one else knows what I did, I know. And I know that God knows what I did. And the thought of standing before a holy God, a righteous God, a God that never has sinned even once. He's pure. And facing up to a God like that and thinking, what would that be like? You know what? Most of us know the feeling that I'm talking about, about how when we do not love others the way we should, when we do not love God with our whole heart and mind and soul and strength, when we disrespect our parents, when we cheat or rip off our companies, when we practice thoughts of lust, any of those things and more, there is a burden that we're going to be carrying around with us, a sin tax. Wouldn't you love to be free of that kind of tax? Wouldn't you love to know that you no longer have to carry baggage into your future? Today we're talking about planning for our futures and understanding our futures. Have you ever tried to go through an airport dragging four or five bags behind you? That's how a lot of us are trying to go into our futures, dragging all kinds of stuff behind us. All that tax. And boy, would it be great to be free of that. Let me tell you something truly amazing about God. Let me look back and tell you what he says again in 1 John chapter 2. Take a look at that. I just read it. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. We have somebody who goes to the Father and says, Father, forgive them. Just the way Jesus said when he was hanging there on the cross, he said, Father, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. Listen to how John goes on. This person who speaks to the Father in our defense is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And here's the important part. Verse 2. Take out those crosswalk notes. I want you to circle the words atoning sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know what that word literally means? It's a payment that sets you free. It's a payment that restores your relationship with God. Any of you ever been in debt? And by the way, you, you know sometimes that in, in olden days, back in the day, sins were sometimes called what? Debts, right? Any of you ever had a big, fat credit card debt? Or a big, fat car debt? Any of you ever encountered that, that moment where you sit back and you go, man, I am way over my head in debt? That's the sin tax. That feeling of guilt and shame, that feeling of overwhelm that comes when we realize in God's eyes, I am in way over my head. Now take that feeling of being overwhelmed by your sins. And your guilt. 
And look at that passage again. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the payment that sets you free from the sin tax. Sets you free from all your debts spiritually before God. What an awesome message that you are going into your future. Not having to drag all kinds of stuff behind you. Knocking into the door jam as you're trying to get, trying to cram into an elevator and the doors are closing on all your baggage. All that is gone. All that spiritual baggage called sin is gone because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. You know how you know that? That he's the atoning sacrifice for your sins? You know it because of that last phrase. And not only for years, what does he say? But for the sins of the whole world. Are you part of the world? If you're part of the world, the whole world, then Jesus' atoning sacrifice was meant for you. Take a look at how Paul expresses this thought in... in, um, in other, or how the Bible expresses this in other parts. First of all, John himself records something that Jesus said while John was walking with him as a disciple. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Underline or circle those words free. You are free from your sins and your guilt, your baggage. And as I started to say a moment ago, the Apostle Paul also makes this very point. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Would you like to move into your future free? Follow Jesus Christ. Walk with him. Be a Christ follower, and he frees you from all your sins because he's freed the entire world of its sins. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So here's our first point this morning. You can write this in the fill-in. Your future holds a life of freedom that comes from fellowship with God. You know, so often... We go through life, and one of the things that would represent true freedom for us would be peace of mind. And I'll bet some of you would love to have a peace of mind about who you are and where you're going in life. I know there have been times in my own life where I've struggled and haven't had, I haven't owned that peace of mind that comes from really having a compass that defines my life. One of the wonderful things about following Christ is this understanding that that God has set up a world in a way in which when we are not in line with his will, when we're out of sync with God's worldview, not only do we pay a tax, but we lose that peace of mind that God wants us to have. And, And here's really the message of this second part. Once we have been saved by Christ's wonderful sacrifice, that payment that he made. When when we accept that price that he paid for us, that blood-bought freedom that we just talked about, 
Now Jesus says to us, I want you to live a life that represents that freedom. And when you live a life, when you walk in the freedom that only Jesus gives by his grace, you're going to experience an even greater level of peace of mind than, than you can ever imagine. I, uh, I heard an interesting thing this week from a former policeman. He was telling me about a survey they once did in his police department. A survey about who makes the best interrogators. And I was thinking, well, the survey is obviously going to show it's the hard-nosed cop, you know, the one that attacks and comes after the guy. You know what this person said? Exactly the opposite. The best interrogators were the interrogators that had a kind heart. That, that the people being asked all the questions got the sense that this person, even though they might catch them out in a really big crime, was going to somehow come alongside of them and not judge them, but simply get the truth out of them so that they could feel better that their lives were in sync. Isn't it amazing that even among hardened criminals, that when we do not do the right thing, something in our heart and mind goes out of sync, and we long to write that by getting back our integrity somehow by pouring out what we've, what we've actually done. I, I've counseled hundreds of people, even in professional life, when we feel like our business goals, our professional goals, are out of sync with who we truly are. I don't feel right. I, I, I found this interesting letter. This is a, a letter written by a man Charles Handy, and he's a a British businessman. He's a leader in the London School of Business, chairman of the UK's Royal Society of the Arts. And he describes how he went through much of his career feeling out of sync with who he truly was, his true purpose in life. Listen to what he says. I spent the early part of my life trying hard to be someone else, someone that wasn't me. At school, I wanted to be a great athlete. At university, I wanted to be an admired socialite. Afterwards, a businessman and later the head of a great institution. It did not take me long to discover that I was not destined to be successful in any of these guises. Notice that he uses the word guys in any of these masks. But that did not prevent me from trying and being perpetually disappointed with myself. The problem was that in trying to be someone else, I neglected to concentrate on the person I could be. That idea was too frightening to contemplate at the time. I was happier going along with the conventions of the time, measuring success. Listen to this. Measuring success in terms of money and position, climbing ladders which others placed in my way, collecting things and contacts rather than giving expression to my own beliefs and personality. Now, you ask Charles Handy, would your beliefs impact your future? I I don't even know that this man is a believer, but he is clearly saying, my beliefs have everything to do with my future. And that's exactly what the Apostle John is saying too. 
I want to read on past that section that we just read that talks about this awesome freedom that we have in Christ because of the price he's paid. But listen to how he goes on and he talks about the need for personal integrity as we walk with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. John's writing to second and third generation Christ followers here. Christians in Asia Minor, he is situated as the pastor of a, of a circle of churches, seven, eight, nine churches in Asia Minor. Some of these second and third generation Christians have begun to make their faith not something that's in here, but something that's just on the outside. Something that they're doing by custom, by rote. Something that, um, that really isn't coming from their gut. And John writes to them and says, do you realize how painfully obvious it is to everyone who's watching you that your faith is not coming from your gut? You're claiming to be a Christ follower. The man who says, I know him. But yet, John points out, that man who says, I know him and does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. Pretty straightforward talk. And talk that every one of us as Christians needs to hear. These words are directed at followers of Christ. And John is saying, if, if you don't, as you move into your future, have the integrity not only to confess what you believe with your mouth, but also to confess it in your actions, then you, I, we are liars. Integrity is so important to the Christ follower. It comes back to that concept that I talked about earlier. The inner game versus the outer game. You see, anybody can teach you the skills of being a Christian. What time to show up for church on Sunday morning. Jonathan can come up here and teach you a new song, and you can mouth the words. You can learn to join a growth group and let your mind wander off to what's going on in your daily life while others are talking through the scriptures. You can confess Christ, but when someone who comes up to you at work and hurts you or harms your reputation or does something you don't like, you can hold a grudge against him. And I could go on and on and make the list as long as we want, but you get the idea. What John is asking is, is our life consistent with our confession? Is what we say what we do and is what we do what we say? And does it all relate back to being in fellowship with Jesus Christ, our Savior? Many of you who have known me for any time have probably heard me quote this guy many times. My favorite coach of all time is John Wooden. Eight championships in 10 years as the coach of UCLA. 
a Christ-following man. A lot of people don't know that about John Wooden. He was a Christian, is a Christian to this day at 96, 97 years old. And John Wooden, when he was teaching his players, many of them not followers of Christ, he was still teaching them not only how to pass and dribble and shoot, even how to tie their shoes and pull their socks up straight, the very first lesson that he taught every one of his players. He was also teaching him, them what he called the pyramid of success. And if you look at John Wooden's pyramid of success, every one of his concepts is straight from the scriptures, straight from the Bible. And he was molding the character of his basketball players using God's way. And here's John Wooden's definition of success. I want you to hear this because this is exactly what John is also teaching us. Success doesn't come from money. Success does not come from possessions. Success does not come from trophies on your shelf. Success is inner. It is peace of mind. Listen to John Wooden. Success is peace of mind that is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did your best to become the best you are capable of becoming. Now, that was written for a secular world. And I know that John Wooden, as a Christ follower, would say, it's the inner satisfaction and peace that you get from knowing that you've done the best you can to serve the God that redeemed you. And that's really what John is saying. You've been bought. Those taxes have been paid by Christ. Now, serve this God to the very best of your ability and watch the inner peace that comes from serving him. Take a look at uh, some other passages I put up there. Romans 6.22, Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Romans 8.6 says, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And Malachi, this is one of my favorite ones. He's talking about the priests as they live their lives. And, and you know, I think you know, that all of us today are declared to be God's priests. So this applies to you. True instruction was in the priest's mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Now, some of you are going to say, but I have peace no matter how I walk because I have peace in Jesus Christ and in his blood. And I'm going to say to you, that's true. You do. That's the awesomeness of God's grace. That even when we do sin and we momentarily lose that peace, and when we're not living lives of integrity, we can always cycle back to the cross, to Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness, and know that he did everything in our place. And that's truly all that we need. And then I'm going to take you one more further step forward and say, and when you have that, just the, the way we just read it, when you have that peace and that freedom, that leads you to holiness, a desire to please and honor God 
with your whole life. So your future, Christ follower, holds a life of peace that comes from personal integrity. What's the last thing that your future holds? I want you to take a look at that first passage that I I put down. John 20, verse 21. The same apostle who wrote the verses we talked about also recorded this command from Christ. Again, Jesus said, John 20, 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You have been given a purpose in life, a task, a mission. You are sent by God. How amazing it is to know that God does not just say, church is only about the comfort that we get, only about the peace and the freedom that we have. Church is also about challenging you to walk with Christ wherever he may lead you and share his message with others. Most of us know when, when we're out on a mission in the military, what that's going to require. Corporal Matt Croucher, a British soldier, was in Afghanistan. And they were patrolling one morning, not too long ago, it was in the month of February, and all of a sudden, his foot brushed up against a tripwire. He knew immediately what was about to happen, and he shouted, Grenade. And when it did not explode right on that moment, he made a quick decision. He sat down and lay back, and his back covered the grenade. Other soldiers said it seemed like an eternity before that grenade detonated. Eventually, it did detonate. A miraculous thing happened, though. Corporal Croucher's backpack and his vest shielded him from the explosion. And amazingly, that explosion lifted him off, off the ground, dropped him back down, and all he suffered were a few scratches. Unbelievable. Here's my point in telling this story. When you're on a mission like that, you know you have to have that kind of courage. And when Jesus says to you and me, I'm sending you on a mission, you know what he's telling you about your future? Something vitally important for you to know if you're going to continue as a Christ follower? So important that Jesus said to his disciples, if you want to follow me, you need to pick up your cross. So important that he said, if you want to follow me, stop. And before you take one more step, count the cost. If you want to follow Christ and be on this mission, the one that we just read about, peace be with you. He starts with peace. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If you want to be on that mission and if you want to be sent, you need courage for your future. And that is nothing new. When Joshua was sent on a mission to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, God told him this, and I put this in your crosswalk notes. Be strong and very 
courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Be strong, and then you can underline that word, very courageous. The apostles, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, they were preaching and teaching. They had been commanded, you need to shut up. I don't want to hear you teaching about Jesus anymore. This was the government of the land, the Sanhedrin. And yet those same leaders, those same people, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Courage. Freedom. You're going to need that for your future. Don't be carrying all that baggage around. Peace, the peace of mind that comes from knowing that the cross of Christ is paid for all your sins, even the ones you're going to commit today and the ones you're going to commit tomorrow, and the peace of mind that comes from walking as a, as a man or woman of integrity because you are a Christ follower. You do what you say and you say what you do. It's an inner peace, an inner success, as John Wooden calls it. And finally, courage. That wherever God may lead you on this mission, your future holds a life of courage that comes from following Christ as he leads. Now let me tell you this. It's not only you who need this. Your children need it too. We've got the Emmanuel school children here today, and I'm so excited and pleased that they're here because we have had a tremendous partnership with Emmanuel Lutheran School. This year, more than 30 crosswalk children get to hear God's word every day. They get to, know, get to hear about the freedom that we have because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. They get to know that peace that goes beyond all understanding that comes from cycling back to that cross and then living a life of, of spiritual integrity, living the way the Bible guides us. They get to, to be covered and, and permeated with that courage that every Christ follower needs to be on this mission. And I, I've asked the principal of Emmanuel Lutheran School this morning to come up here and talk a little bit about this awesome school that is so instrumental in what we at Crosswalk do. And I hope more and more uh, kids from our, our community here in Levine are going to be seen over at that school in the future. I want to introduce to you Principal Eric Brown. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. You took all my material. <laughs> As Pastor Jeff said, I get to be the principal at Emmanuel Lutheran School. And it's just a tremendous privilege that we have being able to partner Emmanuel Lutheran Church and School with Crosswalk and all of our families that send 38-plus children to our school. It's that partnership that forms a triangle of cooperation and support. Triangle of cooperation and support that really, um, really uh, cements, reinforces those critical beliefs that Pastor was talking about this morning. The beliefs that come from God's law, which convicts us of our sins. 
The beliefs that come from the gospel that offers us that free and full forgiveness where we can leave everything at the cross and go away relieved and free, free to serve. And that's really that third critical belief. It's that the Holy Spirit works through the word that our students hear every day in Bible lessons, in devotions, and as God's word is thread throughout our curriculum and instruction, that Holy Spirit empowers our students to live a life for Jesus here on earth, serving him, and it prepares them for eternal life with him in heaven. The video that you're going to see will give you a, a great idea of what our students do at Emmanuel and what they get to experience. It's my prayer that God would continue to bless the partnership that we have with Crosswalk, with you all, and that we would be able to continue to do what, what he is so obviously blessing. My name is Eric Brown, and I get to serve as principal at Emmanuel Lutheran School. Let me show you what a day at Emmanuel is like. Every day starts with a staff, devotion, or Bible study, equipping and strengthening our teachers for their day. The student's day starts in much the same way, with a devotion and study of God's Word and a school-wide chapel service on Wednesdays. Our students come from a number of communities in the South Valley, stretching from Gold Canyon to Tullison. They come for a quality education in a family atmosphere. They come for an education that will prepare them to be productive citizens in this world. But most importantly, they come for a Christian education that prepares them not only for this life, but for the life to come, eternal life with Jesus in heaven. What is a Christian education? It is an education that not only teaches a Bible study lesson daily, but uses God's word across the curriculum. God's word is the common thread which holds the entire program of Emmanuel together, giving it common values, purposes, and goals. Emmanuel's teachers bring a wide variety of talent to the classrooms. They are professional educators, specially trained to use the Word of God throughout the day and across the curriculum. At Emmanuel, children receive a quality education in a safe and caring environment. At Emmanuel, children are prepared academically, physically, socially, and emotionally to be productive citizens in this world. At Emmanuel, children get to hear God's word throughout the day, apply it to their lives, and are spiritually equipped for the life to come and eternity in heaven with Jesus. You know, not only are we excited to be partnered with Emmanuel because of what it does for, for our children, but what better illustration could we have than, than by partnering with a school like this of saying our beliefs truly do impact our future? If we didn't believe that, would you parents be going to the trouble and the expense and all that you do to make Christian education a reality for your children? Would you be making sure that they heard about the forgiveness they have in Jesus every day? 
and the strength that he offers for their lives and the eternal life that he wants to give every one of them. What you do for your children, my prayer is that you will also make it your own and do it for your children and for yourself and know that your beliefs in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior totally impact your future. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you've given us this compass for our future that begins with a foundation that you've given us in Christ's forgiveness, that fellowship that we have with the Father because Christ has paid the price of our sins. And Lord, from there it goes on to to instructing us in your holy will by your law so that we can live lives of integrity, that your word is built into not only our heart and our mind, but into into our words and our actions as well. Lord, we ask that you would bless us so that we would have that inner peace that comes from living with lives of integrity and constantly going back to your cross for forgiveness. And finally, Lord, give us courage. Each and every one of us has been put on a mission, a mission that you gave us to go out into this whole world and introduce the whole world to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we know, because you've taught us this, that our beliefs do impact our future. Help us to teach others that their beliefs can impact their future too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.